And now, right to your hosts of Down the Garden Path, Joanne Shaw and Matthew Dressing. Down the Garden Path, where each week we discuss down-to-earth tips and advice while doing our best to help you seasonally manage your garden and landscape. I'm Joanne Shaw, owner of Down-to-Earth Landscape Design, and with me is my co-host and co-author, Matthew Dressing. Hey, Matt. Hey, Joanne, and hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us. I'm Matthew Dressing, owner of Natural Affinity Garden Design. As landscape designers and gardeners, We believe it's important and possible to have great gardens, which are sustainable and low maintenance, and we want to help you make it happen. That's right. And tonight, we are looking forward to chatting with George Scott, president and founder of Niagara Bee Way, to discuss the importance of protecting native bee species and other native flora and fauna. Do you have questions about bees or beekeeping or Niagara Bee Way? Please write us at downthegardenpathpodcast at hotmail.com. And don't forget to stick around for the end of the show for our new Stepping Stone segment, where we'll answer some more listener questions and give you timely tips for your garden and landscape this month. A little bit about uh, Niagara Beeway before George joins us, but advocating for species native to Niagara. Niagara Beeway's objective is to protect existing native flora and fauna by restoring and creating native habitat, which services bees, birds, native plants and animals, and provides educational opportunities for the community. Niagara Beeway's mission is to protect existing native flora and fauna and communities, restore and create native habitat, monitor and study local ecological systems, develop practices to promote native species and biodiversity, exchange ideas, information, and practices to enhance appreciation of the local ecology. Welcome to the show, George. Uh, Joanne and Matt, thank you very much for having me. Well, we are very happy to have you on board to share your wonderful journey and all the great work Niagara B-Way is working on. So why don't you start off by telling how did you get Niagara B-Way started? Well, Niagara B-Way is now an Ontario corporation that uh, we can deal with banks and other commercial issues Um, But we started really more than 25 years ago, and we offered a free service with our beekeeping technicians. If you were a resident of Niagara and you had a swarm in your property or something that was disturbing you, we would dispatch a technician and we would come and help you out and rescue the bees and put them into a safe home. And then those bees would come back to our bee yard for our training. So some kid is eagerly waiting for those recovered bees so that he can learn how to be a beekeeper. It's been a wonderful experience for more than 20 years, but in this more complicated world with insurances and uh, banking, and now we are a importer of replacement bees from uh, uh, Ukraine, uh, we've had to incorporate so that we can follow the rules just like everybody else. Mm So tell us more, just when you started out, you brought bees back for like young people interested in uh, apiary or apiculture? 
are rescued bees. So those are bees like when you have a pool party and all of a sudden there's a big mass of bees on your pool fence and you're wondering what to do. You can take a can of Raid and spray them or you can call <laughs> our number and we'll bring somebody with a box and a suit and he'll talk to you a little bit about the recovery. Bees, when they swarm, are quite safe. They don't swarm to attack. They swarm to change their Wi-Fi over to the new queen so that they can go into a new cavity. <laughs> And what a beekeeper does is he intercepts that swarm, which is almost a perfect replication package. Just the right number of bricklayers, just the right number of foragers, just the right number of everything that he needs to make a new colony. So we love recovering that. And we've had some splendid uh, exchanges with people in the public where it's educational, it's fun, and the kids really benefit in so do you do still do that now? Is that also something you still continue to do? Absolutely. All of the kids we train are trained first on how to service people here in Niagara who don't know anything about bees, oh, how to come onto people's property, how to spread happy thoughts, how to safely recover the bees so that we don't lose one, and uh, uh, all the little things that beekeepers need to know. Um, is how we train our kids. So they're capable of responding. And I'm proud of each, of each and every one of our technicians. They're just nice people to have around on your property to help you out on a sunny day when you've got a clump of bees on your yard. Mm -hmm. That's wonderful. How does someone become a technician? Well, you'll come here and uh, we'll teach you how to be a beekeeper, first of all. So, you know, a lot of people express an interest in it. So we put a suit on them and see how they are in the suit. <laughs> <laughs> then we open up the box and have them look in. If they go screaming down the road, I'm never coming back to those squiggly insects again. Or they say, oh, isn't that interesting? What are they doing? We get mm -hmm. those two types of people. Um, the ones that really find it interesting become the best beekeepers starting from age 10. Oh, wow. Oh, my goodness. That's I think the people that were afraid of were afraid of insects wouldn't have even put the suit on, like, or why they even showed up. But I guess there's some people that chicken think they can do it, right, and then chicken out. It's a step-by-step -step process, and we move people gently into it, giving them a little more responsibility and understanding of the equipment and how to handle the bees themselves. And when they leave here to go to your house to respond to a call because you have that kind of emergency, um, they're ready. They've got everything that they need. They're they're confident. They're well prepared. They've been on several recoveries um, with an experienced beekeeper, either myself or one of the other beekeepers. Okay. Wow, that's such an amazing program you have. That's so cool that you can be in there as young as like ten years old and, and learn this amazing. I yeah, think it's good for for people to know too that no, don't get that can of raid. That if you've got an issue. That there are some, there are people that can come and rescue the bees and and get them out of your home. And it's so important now. When we first started this, we had over one thousand four hundred calls in Niagara for swarm response. Wow. And since the catastrophic losses that have been happening to bees last year, we had forty four calls. Oh, Niagara really? is the most beautiful place, maybe in the world, to grow honeybees. Why? We have a perfect winter. We've got uh, predominantly a rural uh, community. We're surrounded by very healthy waterworks everywhere. So we've got everything here. Um, it's just that we're doing things as human beings that maybe we should really look at. And your program is really helpful here. When you go to our website at niagarabeeway.com, you'll see articles there that we started in November to help people. 
people have a like mind who see the changes in the environment and they want to do something to help. What we're saying is, here are the plants you should be thinking about. Here's the gardening you should be thinking about. Here are the other misnomers about wasps and spiders and all of the other things. And here are the other roles that honeybees play as a beneficial insect in our communities. That's wonderful. Yeah, I was looking at some of the articles earlier today, and they're just packed with wonderful information. So definitely head over to niagarabeeway.com for lots of wonderful resources. Uh, George, how did you come up with the name Niagara Beeway? What is the Niagara Beeway? Well, we're a little bit on the science side of the world. So most of our people are scientists. And when you look at our website, you can see that a couple of people have a lot of alphabets behind their name, like PhD. <laughs> so in there, um, when we were responding to all of the swarm calls, every time we get a call, we put a pin on the map. And as the bees started dying off, we found out that 80% of our bees were within two kilometers of the St. Lawrence Seaway. So that helped oh. us to determine that there was something in the water that was killing the bees because the seaway is not a lake and it's not a river. It's really the extension of Lake Erie down to Lake Ontario. No ditches drain into the canal. So the bees were thriving all along that two kilometer strip on either side of the Welland Canal. And that's part of the seaway. Seaway became the beeway. Mm. And that's how, oh. we, that's how we got stuck with the name. No, no, I think it's great. That's clever. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. So did you find out, do we know what it is about the water and the waterway itself? Um, you know, besides maybe just the... Uh, runoff entering that water? Is there something about the water itself or is it just the access to clean water that the bees have that, you know, drive them to that space? Yes, we do know all the answers and no, we're not sharing them on this program today. Today, <laughs> today is about happy thoughts. It's oh, great. okay. Uh, this year, I just came out of my bee yards. That means opening up the hatches and looking to see what happened during the winter. Oh, winter, great. winter mortality is a big word. You've heard that many bees mm -hmm. die over winter in this day, in this day today, I can tell you in the 53 years of beekeeping that this is my finest year with the lowest mortality I have uh. ever seen. And you may ask, why is that with all of the toxic materials and parasites and all of the news about bad, bad, bad things for bees? Only re the only thing that we did more with our bees is pour more love into those girls at every opportunity during the year. Put more money into every hive, more labor hours, watching for parasites, watching farmers for chemistry, uh, making sure that they had clean water that was not contaminated, doing all, giving them the, the equipment, making sure that everything was sterile, a lot more man hours. But really, we poured the love on them and they survived unlike any other time in the history of my beekeeping. Wow. And so, how many hives do you have? We're running a little under 200 right now, and we have several yards. So tomorrow I'll be checking all of the other yards. Okay. But many of my apprentices, I've already looked in the yards, and they said there's bees flying out already today. It was sunny. It was hot. Uh, get your lawnmowers out. It's starting to come up a little bit. Um, don't cut your dandelions for me. No, yeah, <laughs> no. Keep your keep your lawnmowers away. Get off your lawn. We're we're kind of it's too soon. 
So we're very happy about our public response to all the articles about plants, sustainability during drought times. And we're forecasting a summer drought of about 10 to 15 days again this year. It may be a little bit longer, but native species and sustainable practices and uh, successional nectar provision, not all your plants in the spring, some plants flower some other time is a good thing for bees. Mm. And if we have by this radio show, if we can connect and convert 10% of the people who buy ornamental plants, who buy functional plants, thinking about pollinators, and those are butterflies, and those are all the native bees, and those are the honeybees, which are all totally compatible, and also all bird food. So we are putting, beekeepers put a significant tonnage of bird food up there for those hen birds who need to feed their young and only eat on the wing. With the decimation of our insect populations, the migratory beekeepers, who are our Niagara major crew, um, Niagara makes up the bulk of all bees in Ontario. We are the inter strongest interprovincial providers of pollination services. So Niagara is key to all this, and that's why we've been working in the Ukraine since 2018 to get replacement bees for the devastating times when people lose their bees and that cannot replicate them back fast enough to get to their past levels. Okay. So um, that's our dedication. Mm -hmm. And uh, now for the first time, and this is this morning, hot off the presses. <laughs> Excellent. Well, great news. Thank you. I'm so glad we get to celebrate today. Um, with us about that. Can you tell us more about the replacement bees from the Ukraine? Right. So we went to uh, Ukraine. Uh, they are, I'm going to say, the largest beekeepers in the world. The Chinese may say something that they are, but I can never verify anything over there. Mm -hmm. But the Ukraine, um, they don't have major beekeepers like we do with 10,000 hives. They have 6 million hives in the hands of like 6 million people. Oh, wow. wow. So they're all part of a family. They're all small producers. They have genetics that are regional. So we looked at all of their strains and we found a place that looks just like Niagara. Niagara's 40 miles by 40 miles. And this place is about 40 miles by about 115 miles. It's called the Carpathian region. It's a big valley with mountains all the way around, mountains so big that no other bee can get over to breed with oh. our Carpathian bees. Okay. So we isolated them. We grew them so that they were very strong. Now we have a bee that has a slightly longer proboscis so it can feed on a wider range of plants. And they are a bigger bee. They are a bigger worker bee, a bigger forager, which means on windy days and cold days, they can get out there a little bit earlier. And that's perfect for the Canadian climate, like Alberta, like Northern Ontario. These are a mountain bee, so they see snow, and they're a northern hemisphere bee, so they fit right in here. Just having two or three colonies in your yard where you've got 50 colonies means that you get all the advantages because the Carpathian drones will mix with your drones, and now you've got that larger forager in your new queens for the next year and the year after and the year after. Okay. So you don't need a lot of Carpathians, but you need to introduce these genetics for your, we call them the F2s, the second generation. Okay. So it is okay that they breed and they, you know, <laughs> it is our multiply. 
<laughs> it is our purpose. It is our recommendation as registered beekeepers here, okay. as people who could bring bees in from anywhere. Mm-hmm. We find that these are the best bees for us, in particular, our more harsh climates like Alberta. Okay. And our Albertans have been so straightforward and so helpful with all of this that uh, we are in debt to them. They are truly fine and easy to work with. Oh, excellent. And so will they eventually, like, because people talk about native bees versus the, I mean, I would like you to clear that up, you know, honeybees, native bees. So will the Carpathian bees eventually become native bees here? No. No. Uh, The the honeybee is as different as a rhinoceros is from a a spider. They are a totally different genetic with a different life cycle. Um, there's been a lot of uh, scientific reports on the damages that are done by honeybees to other bee populations. It just certainly is not the case. When you know good native bee researchers, and I know them, they are mm-hmm. um, excellent people. We work together. Um, the life cycle of those bees and the of the native bees, how they rear their young, when they rear their young, what plants that they feed on, in many cases are completely different than honeybees. Honeybees overwinter, none of the native bees overwinter like that. Honeybees store food, none of the bees do. Some of the native bees, you don't see them in, in May. You see them in August. You don't. So their life cycle isn't being damaged by honeybees in May because they're not even in that life cycle. And they only feed on the plants that come in May or June or July. So that whole idea of the transmission of diseases from uh, honeybees to other bees and other insects. Um, I have never seen it in 53 years. I have read reports of fungal transmission and diseases and parasites and all that, and I have never seen it, nor have I ever heard of any beekeeper reporting it to me. These are only scientific studies, and they only create some sort of needless curiosity and and truly a waste of time. The Mm. beneficial insect that the honeybee is and native bees together, they work together perfectly. When the honeybee populations were the highest here in Niagara, the native bee populations were the highest. When the honeybees got wiped out, the native bees got wiped out too. They are hand in hand in this environment. If anything, the honeybees take the pressure off and make plant replication so much more beneficial for the existence of native bees today. Remember, we've cut down 97% of the forests in Niagara. So we've done a little change to the environment. So to say something is affecting the native bees, well, have a good look in the mirror at all all of us. And before (laughs) you start pointing, or go and yell at your neighbor for the native bees that are splattered on his windshield because he's killed more bees than all the beekeepers together. So those are just false statements but they're out there and we mm-hmm. do attend to it on every talk. Yeah. Well, that's good. Well, we've got a number of questions that are popping in. A lot of people excited about you joining us on the show. Uh, Monique started out with uh, hello to Joanne and Matt. Couldn't miss the radio show tonight. Uh, wondering how hard it is to actually start a bee yard. Thank you. Well, Monique, it depends where you are. If you are in Niagara, maybe the best way to start, and this has been our most successful project over the last three years, is to host a hive program. You've got a property somewhere, you want to know a little bit more about bees, but you don't know anything. 
you watch YouTube and you're highly educated now. But uh, maybe the host of Hive is the thing for you because it's like your pool maintenance man or your window cleaning guy or your lawn service. You push a button and the lawn service is done. In the host of Hive, you push a button, the hives arrive at your property, they're fully serviced, and then on Labor Day, they are taken back to our bee yards again. So you get the whole season of pollination service in your neighborhood or wherever your house is or wherever your farm is. But you don't have to do any of the registration, pesticide, pest control products, additional equipment, monitoring, balancing. All of those things are done for you, just like your pool maintenance man cleans your pool. You enjoy all the benefits of it. Your garden enjoys all the benefits of it. And uh, um, that host of Hive has quadrupled in interest and clientele in this year. So we're so proud of it. We're so happy with the responses that we're getting and the return customers who want more and their friends who they talk to who also want it. That's how this is spreading. Yeah, and rightfully so. You should be proud of it. That's yeah. amazing. So you say that they, the bees are picked up at Labor Day. When do they go out to uh, the people who host the Hive? Uh, we normally look at just after the May 2-4 weekend. As soon as the traffic's off the road, you know, mm -hmm. uh, beekeepers bring bees at night so that they're all in the box because uh, the girls all stay home at night. None of them stay out like <laughs> yellow jackets over there because, you know, when there's 50,000 girls in there and you stay out at night, you get a bad name. <laughs> <laughs> that's right and uh any spreading to like Na like the niagara region of like on the u.s side of the border like are we just staying in ontario you know there are uh trade prohibitions in moving mm. bees back and forth or bee equipment okay. so we are totally isolated from our largest customer which is the u.s okay uh, niagara Beeway does have a trade program and because of my um previous life in the petrochemical industry, we understand the importance of opening up trade where it's safe and doesn't mm -hmm. transmit diseases and things like that. We have those issues so under control today uh, with the parasites and the monitoring um, that restricting trade for bees between Canada and the United States is a really a Fred Flintstone and Barney Rubble rule that is okay. just crushing everybody here. Yeah. It will change. Yeah. It will change, but it can't change fast enough. Yes, yes. So if you don't go south of the border, how far in Ontario or Canada will you uh, host a hive? What's the range of that program? Matt, Matt, you're the best. That's the best question ever. Today, we can replace bees now out of Calgary Airport, Edmonton Airport, Pearson Airport, or Hamilton wow. Airport. We're the wow. only company in Canada that doesn't land them in Vancouver and drive them to Saskatchewan. That drive on bees in a truck in their cages is brutal. We can cut that down by a two hour flight where we are dark, we are refrigerated, we are ventilated, we have beekeepers all the way through at every junction. We don't take any chances. And uh, having a beekeeper on site when you have bees is pretty helpful and it's better than a baggage handler. That's amazing. Wow. So, yeah, you can host a hive anywhere nearly or at quite a great range. Right. Uh, some of our best customers are up in the Magnetowan area. Um, they love oh, wow. RV because they've got a meter of snow right now. And uh, these are snow, the Carpathians are a snow bee. 
they see them tunneling out of the snow so that they can uh, get out for a breath of fresh air and get away from the other girls. <laughs> they are hardy. But I have to tell you, when we bring those Ukrainian girls here, we trade in their high heels for work boots and plaid shirts. Okay. <laughs> and they, and they ad- within a week, they adapt. Really? Wow. They are, they are recognizing the plant values. They are in time with how many foragers for your cherry tree that's about to pop. They know exactly what they're doing. They're scouting information and all the details. They're processing their ability to lay eggs is the reason why we chose that bee over all of the other varieties that are available to us. Okay. So would you, because bees tend to be a bit of like pollen is important, right? And so would you say that um, like the Ukrainian, like the plants in the Ukraine are similar to what we have here? Or I would say yes. And I would say that the plants we have here, like um, if you take, for example, alfalfa. Okay. Alfalfa is a Ukrainian plant. Mm. Okay. So so the mix of things that are here and the types of trees that are here are very similar. And our cropping and our backyard gardens are very similar. The thing that is the biggest difference, and this is where we need landscape professionals to look at this, is for us to provide native plants in there for successional nectar provision for our girls. So that they've got a plant that's just finishing, a cherry tree that's just finishing, and a joe pie weed and a bone set that are coming. In quantities that give them a good bucket full of food. So that balance and that change of investment on every property, put it this way. In Niagara, we spend almost $5 million through our conservation authority and our biggest greenhouses that grow native species. Every year, Niagara residents buy $73 million worth of ornamental plants. Mm. So if your show can convert 10% of the people who only buy ornamental plants, marigolds, pansies, uh, petunias, things that have no value to our bees, and they have a little thought and consideration about what they're doing to that, if you affect 10% of that, that more than doubles all of the professional organization, this show, if it reaches those people who are reaching into their pocket with 50 bucks to buy some plants, they go, oh, what type of nectar does this produce? Oh, no nectar? Maybe I should look at another plant. Maybe I should call Joanne and see what she recommends. Mm-hmm. Once, we, once we reach that, 10% conversion is a 100% increase in native species. So your questions and your dedication to sustainability and native species is why we are growing these plugs. They are available to landscapers so that we can do these things. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it's meaningful. It um, The host of hive has revealed something to us. Many of our bees in the agricultural rural areas suffered and made very little honey because we had a drought last year. Yeah. Some of our hives in the city of St. Catharines were our strongest producers. Why? Because people have been planting native species, they've got flowering trees there, and during the drought, they were out there watering their plants. That means high yield. That means if we play our cards right, as Niagara develops and all the housing that's going on, if we're a little bit smart about our subdivision and our plants, we can be beekeepers for the next 200 years. As a matter of fact, the more houses 
the better the honey can be because we are in complete control of our soil, of our plants, of our watering schedule, of our municipal money and how we spend it. All of those things need a, a little hand based on some of those new insights that you have for sustainable nectar providing native plants. So I'm gonna thank you for that. I, yeah. I, I can't support you enough. We're firing up flats of native species for landscaping companies now. Excellent. And it's been very well received. Perfect. Awesome. And will you ship those plants? Like, can we order them from the, the GTA as well? Or are they more Niagara region? Last year, the GTA, the Conservation Authority came down and bought 100% of everything. Mm. And nobody here had anything because we were sold out. <laughs> so this year, we are amplifying our production to bring online, you know, maybe another 700 flats. Okay. You know, th things that we want to see out there in times when um, nectar is not available and we want hardy plants that always give something. And maybe some plants give better pollen than others. But I won't mm -hmm. bore you with that. The, yeah. the ironweed, the joe pie weed, the bone set, those things that are very sensitive to Roundup, mm. you use Roundup, you kill them right down to the seed bank in the soil. They'll never come back. Oh, wow. And okay. they were one of the most prevalent species here. So we've done a big job of knocking those babies down. And maybe it's a time we gave back. And they mm -hmm. are quite a beautiful. I, I'm not going to say decorative, but I'm going to say decorative plant <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah right. yeah just as we hit the uh, halfway point in the hour i'm going to jump in and just say thank you to everybody joining us here live on reality radio 101 thank you as well if you've downloaded the podcast maybe you're listening at home or on your ride to work i'm matthew dressing here with my co-host and co-author joanne shaw and you're listening to down the garden path joanne and i enjoy hosting down the garden path each week bringing you interesting and relevant topics to help you achieve a great garden. We learn right along with you from our research and from the wonderful guests that join us here on the show, such as George Scott, tonight from Niagara B-Way. Don't forget you can spend more time with us down the garden path. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Down the Garden Path Podcast is our handle there. You can also find us on your favorite podcast provider. And while you're there, please hit that like and subscribe button be notified of new content, and don't forget to share and leave us a comment. We love hearing from us. You know, or hearing from you. We like to hear from ourselves as well, but hearing from you. You can always write us as it well down the garden path podcast at hotmail.com. George, we have Eric who's written in speaking about your lovely ladies, uh, wondering how long is the lifespan or the life cycle of an individual bee? Another great question. So the average bee that you see in your garden lives uh, without uh, predation, like bird eating it or damaged broken wing or some injury. They live between 35 to 37 days. Okay. About the end of August, the queen will start saying, you know what? I feel winter coming on. She'll okay. start laying a different type of egg. This is called a winter bee. A winter bee lives 137 days. Oh. So the bee gets the queen bee gets to know her eggs and what they're doing so she can determine that. So early August she starts laying a few winter bees, and then as September comes more and then November that she's laying sheets of them so that 
she can get those bees ready that aren't dying all through the whole winter season. The winter bee is slightly different in many regards. Um, put it this way, if you are the queen and you know all of your mates, all 20 of them, they all gave <laughs> slightly different offspring. Some made better wax. Some were better guards. Some were bigger and could fly more. But the winter bees were a little bit hairier. <laughs> and it's always nice when it's cold in the winter to hug on to your hairy sister, if you know what I mean. Yes, for sure. <laughs> however, it's however so being fascinating. Hairy, oh my being God. hairy and flying like the foragers who are smooth, those smooth girls can slide through the air like crazy. But when you're <laughs> hairy and you get one drop of water on you, it's just like carrying two buckets of cement. It's a oh, boring, geez. bad day. Bad hair day, we call it. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, that is so fascinating. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Um, uh, so we do have another question with uh, from Jody. She's saying, what is considered a native bee and how far in miles uh, in relation to location is considered a native bee? Yeah, do you follow? Um, so um, for native bees, if you go to our articles on Niagara Bee Way, we talk about hornets and wasps and all of those different things. Most mm -hmm. people, when they get stung, 100% of the people blame honeybees. I am allergic to honeybees. And they swear that they're honeybee. They saw the honeybee. They put it in a jar. They bring the jar, and it's a yellow jacket. Mm -hmm. I, I can't tell you how many times this happened, but the honeybee gets 100% of the blame, and he is actually less than 10 percent there are yeah. 119 biting stinging insects in niagara Ooh. for which honeybees get 100 percent of the blame the blame yes well george I, as a landscape designer i can't tell you how many times i've been asked to do a landscape design and the clients want flowers and want seasonal interest um but don't want bees mm -hmm. <laughs> don't want me to plant anything that's going to attract bees so it's like, uh, so yeah, so this education is really good and really important that we need bees. The flowers need the bees and the bees need the flowers. Not only that, but for the next 200 years, if we make decisions to be not an ornamental society, to be functional, your mm -hmm. gardens play a big role to the kid who lives five houses down and his dad's got a flat garage roof and he's got 10 hives there. He makes your polysaccharide. He makes your sweetener. He makes a high quality product and everybody in your neighborhood is encouraged by him not to step on their decks and shoot a can of raid there before the party. <laughs> Just to maybe lighten up on the use of pesticides because your next door neighbor is also your honey supplier. If that's, if that's going to be important now, food sustainability, food quality, mm -hmm. that's something that we can do an active thing about. However, if you prefer to be earrings on a pig, then you can join the ornamental society. Hmm. Nice. Yeah. Going going back to the bees and the biting and stinging insects. Do honeybees bite at all? I I think I maybe missed that. Can you ask that again? Sorry. Sorry. So just going back to the biting and stinging bees and insects. Honeybees might bite or sting if if provoked. Is that what you were saying? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. The honeybees are equipped with a harpoon. In order okay. for them to use it, they, they die. But that is to guard their treasure. Because yeah. they store food, unlike any of the other bees, the other bees may sting for a living. They paralyze their food. They're meat eaters. Right. They, eat, they eat honeybees. 
jackets. Yellow jackets are a big problem because they'll come in and attack us. They're heavily armored. They can come right into our brood chamber and rip larvae out and bring them back. They're meat eaters. Oh, and they, they sting for a living and they don't mind chasing you when you're in your lawnmower and they're in the grass mm-hmm. and they're going to chase you away. But I have 10 year olds who sit for an hour at 12 o'clock in the afternoon on a sunny day watching the girls go in and out and in and out. And, in, yeah. and I say, come on in for lunch. And they go, I'll be there in a minute. <laughs> and what are they doing? They're learning. They're watching. Yeah. They find it, it. It's fascinating to watch an insect get greeted at the door. What are they saying? Why are they bumping heads? Why do their antenna touch? Why are yeah. they carrying those little sacks of pollen? Hey, who's checking those pollen sacks before they go anywhere? And they saying, go up to row 12, section B, part five. And put your <laughs> there. Right? Yes. Learn what they're doing. Oh, God. goodness well, gracious. what they're doing. Yeah. Thank you for clarifying, because Ray Ray also wrote in and said, "Is it true? And if yes, does the bee die after using its stinger?" Um, it's, a har- it's a harpoon. It is not used for uh, anesthetizing spiders, so you can bring food back. It is only there for the protection of their young and their food. So when they swarm, that's a ball of bees with a queen in the middle, looking for a new cavity somewhere. They're not protecting food and they're not protecting young. You can stick your hand miraculously right into a swarm of bees. Uh, That's a clump that looks like a football. Mm -hmm. And the bees will just climb on your hand. Why? They have not been given the command to protect. There is nothing to protect. So they are not wanting to be noticed and they're not willing to spend their lives because they are needed to do something in the new hive. That's why they were chosen by the new queen to find a new cavity, they are a swarm on the move. So when your technicians go out and they have their bee suits on, do they use gloves or do they use their bare hands to gather the bees to relocate them? Uh, everybody's different. Um, I tell everybody to suit up completely. Every once in a while, you'll find a swarm that's behaving poorly. Mm. It, it coagulated somewhere else on someone's yard. That person took a hose to it or put raid on it. So it drove them into a frenzy. They're not behaving properly. By the time they recoalesced in someone else's yard and they called us to come in there, uh, they'd already been hit with an insecticide. So now they're not behaving properly. Now they don't know what they're doing. You could get stung by that because someone's attacked them. Mm, right. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. Right. If you're gentle and you move at a certain beekeeper rate, and don't call us lazy workers just because we're moving at that speed, okay? We're doing lots of work. <laughs> yes. But it doesn't startle the bees. And that's the first thing that the young kids learn how to move at that speed. They can pull frame. I have 10-year-olds pulling frames right out of hive and saying, is this one okay? And they gently put it back in there, and they are so good. They are so capable. It doesn't take big, strong arms like you have, Matt. A ten-year-old, a ten-year-old can be very serviceable. He can take a lid off. He can pull a frame out and say, "Hey, this one's okay," and then put it all back together again and go to the next hive. So, it with the right guidance, with the right guidance, they have the strength. Uh, personally, we prefer high school students because they get off in May and they go back on Labor Day, mm, and we need them from, and we need them from May until Labor Day. 
So we're hoping that kids can run 50 hives, put 60 grand in their pocket over summertime, take a little pressure off a of mom and dad for their university education <laughs> and get out of high school with 100 grand in their pocket because they've been beekeepers for five years. Oh we're hoping goodness. we're hoping to generate that level of urban interest and urban data through the host of hive program. Okay. That's amazing. That's that is amazing. amazing. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, we're like, <laughs> so if you, if someone wanted to ho host a hive, like I'm in Pickering, for instance, so I can get to the Toronto, you know, airport to pick them up. I don't know if that's too, still too far, depending on the traffic, but um, what else would someone in, let's say Durham region, that's a little east of the, of Toronto need to, um, to be a hive host? Sorry, we are limited only to Niagara. Oh, okay. and, and that's just simply because when we bring them back to our yards here in Niagara, it's just a matter of fuel per hive, number of visits per mm. term, um, even getting as far as Stony Creek and Hamilton. Um, you know, those are 90 minutes extra okay. of driving. Okay. And when you add 10 of those up, that's 900 minutes. Not, okay. That's good. When we yeah. go to someplace like Kitchener, uh, we just can't do it efficiently. And to my knowledge, we are the only people really who are offering a program like this. Niagara's okay. nice because it's 40 miles by 40 miles. Yeah. Man, everybody knows each other. Too, you know, yeah, pretty much. for sure. For sure. So I guess I misunderstood them. What were you saying was that can be delivered to those four airports? Was that more of the um, Carpathian bees? Like the those are those are the replacement bees. Oh, okay. Okay. Sorry, so I confused that. Yeah. When people want to increase their um, colonies early, mm -hmm. um, you can put bees in a box. Um, you can wait till mid-May and you can buy a few sheets of brood with bees called a nuke. You can put that into your box. Um, either way, um, you can make your own beehives with those replacement bees. So it is the replacement bee package that we're saying this is much easier to use than a nuke. You get lots of bees in that package and a brand new queen ready to go. Um, and it's like catching a swarm. So we, we are interested in all of the data we'll be getting this year by uh, providing beekeepers who need bees with all the bees that they possibly could use. That's, that's our intention. And we have significant capacity. We built up in the last, since 2018, we built up the capacity to service Canadians with 20,000 packages of bees. That's a lot. That's you only get maybe 800 in an airplane. So that's a lot of airplanes. Yeah. Yeah. That's about 10% of the imports that come in here already. So Niagara B way is at 20,000 and that's our maximum capacity and we're not there yet. But at 20,000, we are less than 10% of the supply market. So we're, uh, we're a big fish in Niagara, but a small fish everywhere else. How yes, in Canada. So so are you in partnership with other um, like-minded organizations across Canada? Like, is there a federal kind of umbrella or is everybody kind of? Well, you know, we're still medieval in our organization as an industry. Uh, we're not like the egg marketing board, the chicken marketing board, the dairy segment, the wheat mm -hmm. segment. All those agricultural segments have different revenues. The beekeeping segment of agriculture is at the bottom because oh. there just has not been uh, all provincial agreement, um, pricing control. Um, there's been no control on the import of contaminated fake honey um, that 
they shut it off in the United States, and all those suppliers came to Canada. Yeah. Oh. The, rate, the rate of detecting counterfeit honey on our store shelves is enormous. Mm-hmm. It is the largest food fraud ever in the history of Canada. And we are taking steps as Niagara Beeway on an import moratorium until we can straighten this out for the protection of Canadians who have dietary requirements that say no sugar, but honey's allowed. If you have someone who's just taking your money and giving you a product that even I can't tell it's not honey, it's just sugar with color and flavor and throw a little pollen in there. So it looks like it's honey in case someone has a a primitive test, but really it's a monosaccharide. It is a cane sugar. It's a beet sugar. It's a 69 cent product. And you just went rockers off of your no sugar diet. Yeah. trying to do the best you can that food fraud has to stop yeah but um we sent fred flintstone and barney rubble to ottawa and we haven't heard back from them yet because they went there by dinosaur so it could be a little while before we <laughs> even get our act organized right as beekeepers. shame right. on us shame on us for just the yeah. way we are yeah, so that is, for all our listeners, that is something, especially the Canadian ones or Ontario, it, to pay attention to the honey that you're buying from the grocery store and not buying it from the grocery store. There's plenty of farmer's markets. There's plenty of independent producers. Uh, if you just look for them, uh, that, yeah, definitely, that is a really important thing uh, for the whole industry. So you, you mean planting, there's so many aspects of it, planting pollinators, um, you know, uh, not using pesticides, but also where you purchase your honey. Uh, it's very important. So um, if, if yeah. you go local and every yes. neighborhood should have a local supply of its own sweetener. I know that sounds like a crazy thing, but yeah. think about this over the next 200 years, if you don't do it. Yes. Yeah, very, definitely. very easy to do with small changes to our high school kids, to our neighborhoods, to our planting. Mm-hmm. The whole let's plant a million trees in Niagara. That's two trees per person. Yes. Yeah, okay. Um, wow. How about, yeah. a neighborhood, <laughs> how about a neighborhood that buys 35 flats and everybody puts in their garden borage and Joe Pye weed and bone set, some of those other pretty ones. And all of a sudden they become a 700 pound honey producing place. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So are you collecting the honey? Like, do you then collect the honey as well and then sell it? Yeah, we have a full extraction here. So okay. uh, you know, we bring kids in and we show them how to uncap the honey when it's capped to put it into the centrifugal separator. So they spin the, comb around the wax stays in perfect shape and the honey flows right out into the centrifugal machine then we put it through a coarse filter and that is raw unpasteurized honey that's the most nutritious product that we can produce and now you have um you know the high schools or the 10 year olds the young young ones coming and becoming technicians does niagara b-way have a place where people can come and visit and kind of be introduced to your whole process and watch the, you know, the uncapping of combs and uh, just kind of experience as a, as a visit or a kind of an event or a tour. Uh, We do that with friends and people are seriously interested, but we have been in the delivery of uh, educational door services to the public and uh, we're just not insured for that. Although we do take out specific insurance because our property is more than a kilometer long and has a 35-acre forest here in Wainfleet, it, uh, we have really what we call the grade four path. 
So five adults with 25 kids, five kids each, um, they can walk through the forested area. It's a six foot wide bush hog cut maintained pathway um, through there. And we have a conservation authority biologist or ex conservation authority biologist or somebody speaking about the architecture of the forest, the type of plants, whatever is in season, if that's a cat, rat, elephant, salamander, whatever it is, um, that's what they talk about. And the kids get so much out of it. You can tell by the artwork they send us a week after. Here's a picture of the owl we saw. And there's a hundred kids. We saw two owls. One was a baby. And it it sticks with them. You know, I've had kids come back here and say three years ago we were here. And we remember when we saw the turtle. That's so good. Yeah, we we saw the bees going in and out. And uh, we drew pictures of bees for like, and we have a whole bee place in our classroom. And blah, blah, blah. It goes. (laughs) It has way more impact on the kids than playing with a screen. Yeah. yeah, for oh, sure. Oh, yeah, that I could see that for sure. For sure. We just had a really great compliment for one of our listeners, George. He says this show is one of the most amazing shows that I've heard from Joanne and Matt. <laughs> um, so thank you, James. And he says, okay, what should I plant for the bees? And I want to tack on to that because you said the number of plants. So planting one thing of Joe Pye weed may not be enough. So when you and, and I know that's a whole article and, and that's someone we can uh, we're going to do another show to talk specifically about that. But if you can leave our listeners with a few of your recommendations, um, those recommendations are on the website in those articles. So okay. it will tell you the plant, its name, maybe even where to get it. There are some excellent suppliers down here. Um, Sassafras Nurseries is owned by Chris Dorado. You won't meet a finer guy than Chris Dorado. Uh, he can help you. He's online. You can call and get flats from him or from me. Um, We're we're firing up all those things. Uh, If he needs anything, I can supply him for his over needs. And uh, the more we can do, Joanne, the better it is. Okay, perfect. So we'll have a link to that on our website. And would you say that three, like three of the same plant, George, is, is beneficial for that succession of nectar? Uh, when we put our plants in, uh, we normally make a, a, a one-foot hole with mulch around it. So that's one foot by one foot hole. And we put five or six plugs in there. And we normally use two different plants in there, just in okay. case one doesn't take, right? Yeah. But we put five plugs of each one in there so that we get a big boost of it. So we really see it. Uh, if you're putting in something like swamp milkweed, Um, These are going to be perennials. So putting five plugs in there gives you a good chance to get your rhizome root really established. Putting one here and one there and one here and one there, we found that that is actually not a good idea because what it does is it brings more of the predators. Mm -hmm. When we went to the Niagara Region Butterfly Garden that they put in Shimon Parkway for the employees of the Niagara Region to come out and sit in the lovely garden, it costs a lot of money. And when we went there three days before the grand opening, we did see the beneficial insects. We did see the beneficial butterflies. We did see the beneficials. But the predators were 10 times higher than anywhere because you made a little oasis and asked the baby zebras to walk by the lions on their way to the water. Mm. We want to take that same amount of money, put it into the hands of farmers who can make a strip two plow lengths 18 feet wide 
from Lake Erie to Lake Ontario that are a kilometer long. I don't know. You go up to a farmer and give yeah. him three grand and a bag of seeds and tell him to plant along his fence line. And you know what he'll do? First of all, he'll give you a big kiss, a giant hug, <laughs> and take your three grand. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Or you can spend 70 grand and make a municipal pollinator garden mm-hmm. and forget about all of your farmers in your municipality. Yeah. Get some input from the farmers if you want to do the job right because they've got the equipment, the know how, the soil, the drainage. They are the go to guys. They need to be included in this, not just the ornamentalists. Right. We need and both. We need both. But yeah. farmers are the best. How's that? Okay. They are. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And it definitely is turning. I think as, you know, every, um, you know, t- in COVID, everybody was, you know, every client was asking for a vegetable garden that never asked for a vegetable garden before and fruit trees and things like that. And now people are asking for, in addition to those, you know, native plants and pollinators and and really being much more aware of of those. So uh, so that that is exciting to see that the tide is turning. Uh, oh, absolutely. There are many like-minded people. I can't tell you how many we're meeting now that we have a good communications director inside the company. I can't tell you how many people who are thinking just like you, mm. who want to do something, they are obviously seeing things for themselves. And when they have too many tomatoes, um, they take a basket and they put it in the apartment building where all the old people live down in the corner. Yeah. And that is such a treasure to come out of a backyard uh, deck with a couple of big pots on there and way too many tomatoes to being generous enough to have somebody who's buying those tomatoes for a buck a pop. Okay. So that's a contribution to people who eat tomatoes every day, but they don't grow them and you're helping them in a little way Mm -hmm. and you're on your deck with a pot with a little 10 foot garden. Yeah. (laughs) Excellent. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, George. The time just really does fly. We appreciate you taking the time out of, I'm sure, your busy schedule as bees start to wake up to join us and share all this amazing and wonderful information with us. Thank you so much. I'm feeling really wonderful today. Um, This little interview, I'm hoping that it reaches people so Mm -hmm. that they can get back to us. Um, I'm full of happy thoughts here. Uh, last, year, last year at this time, we had 100% mortality. Oh. So I'm so happy. I just am so excited that you, you've had such great success. Yes. So that's wonderful. Congratulations. Just spreading the happy thoughts through you guys. Mm-hmm. And thank you very much. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you very much for joining us. And it's certainly not the last time we're going to have you on. So our listeners are just continuing to rave about this this great topic. So we definitely uh, um, want to keep everybody informed. So uh, I will reach out to your communications uh, person and uh, we'll we'll be discussing this further. So uh, especially on the, along the plants as gardening season ramps up. So thank you so much, George, for joining us here. Anytime, Joanne. And thanks, Matt. I appreciate it. Thanks again, George. Take care. Take care. Bye for now. What a wonderful show.
I know. I learned so much. I'm so excited. So, um, and do you know how hard it has? So listeners, like we have been wanting to do a show for about a year and we have tried so many different people to come on to talk about this topic because I know it's super timely. And I happened to see a tweet from uh, George or from the Niagara B-Way. And I'm actually from Welland, from the Niagara region. I'm thinking, how do I get convinced my dad to have a hive? And how do I, (laughs) you know, and uh, um, yeah, so I, and he was just, he immediately, responded and we've had this booked for a little while so um so yeah so if there's any other beekeepers out there or anyone else that want especially in in ontario like you know elsewhere um in uh, durham region that wants to uh be on the show and and teach us more about another topic or has a, a host a hive program i think that's fascinating right yeah that would be wonderful you can write us at down the garden path podcast at hotmail.com and share with us because we love to hear from you speaking of hearing from you won't be hearing from joanne and i live as we come up in april 10th and 17th so just a little break everybody just a little break (laughs) just a little break with uh school ending and other things happening uh we need to take the next two weeks off so we do have some wonderful uh, repeats available for you. Uh, we are going to be talking all about organic pest control uh, with David Schmorenberg. We talked about that last year. Also, Bob Reeves will join us on the 17th uh, with Root Rescue. And again, these will be repeat episodes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we'll be returning April 24th with May in the garden. Uh, and we'll be back and we'll be live and we'll be excited about the warmer weather and lots of things to uh, right. get planting. I do want to get one question in from, um, so Jane wrote us earlier today about what to put down on her lawn here in the GTA. Thanks so much for the advice. And the advice is still nothing yet. Jane, we will be filling you in, um, right, Matt, Matt, the end of April? In May Uh, in the garden. On May in the garden. (laughs) So the grass is still wet. It's not really growing. Uh, Nighttime temperatures are still low. So there's no reason to get out there and, and walking on your lawn. Um, so there's nothing really you need to do yet. That's right. And thank you, everybody else. We had uh, an overwhelming response this evening with questions. We apologize we couldn't get to all of them, but we do appreciate that you took the time to think of George Niagara B-Way and uh, ourselves as well. Thank you, everybody, for tuning again in live here on Reality YouTube. Radio 101. Don't forget, you can find us on YouTube as well as major podcast providers for all current and a number of past episodes as well. Uh, until then, until uh, April 24th, everybody take care. Uh, we hope you all are all well, and we look forward to talking to you then. Bye take for care. Bye bye. Thank you for listening to Down the Garden Path with your hosts, Joanne Shaw and Matthew Dressing, right here on Reality Radio 101.